Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Good afternoon, everyone joining us online here for our webinar today. I'm Brad Lubin, Associate Professor and Extension Policy Specialist in Ag Economics uh, here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Thanks for joining our webinar series today uh, on our extension farm and ranch from our extension farm and ranch management team. Uh, as the calendar turns 2021, we're focusing on the ag policy outlook. Ag producers and professionals are preparing for a new administration in DC, new leadership in Congress, and new directions for farm policy and farm program decisions, including uh, decisions for enrollment under the existing farm, uh, farm program. Today, we'll cover several of these key issues and focus on several of the, uh, uh, the questions and issues ahead for producers. Uh, I'm pleased to have Kathy Anderson from the USDA Farm Service Agency, Nebraska State Office, joining us today. Kathy and I have collaborated on a previous uh, webinar and, and done some previous recordings as we were rolling out the 2018 Farm Bill and what was then an enrollment decision about 2019 and 2020. We're now uh, faced with producers making a new enrollment decision, or at least having the opportunity to update that decision if they wish here for 2021. And it's a great time to visit on farm program details and decisions ahead. Kathy, thanks for joining us this afternoon. I want to turn it over to you and, and start the presentation. Very good. Thank you, Brad. Um, just want to thank Brad and, and the University of Nebraska for partnering with us to get information out to you today. Um, Really, we've appreciated that partnership with all of our FSA programs, but particularly right now with the egg risk coverage and price loss coverage program. Um, I'm gonna share my screen with you so you can see my presentation. Hopefully, there we go. All right. Um, so uh, we want to draw your attention to the fact that we are now in an election and enrollment period for the Agricultural Risk Coverage Price Loss Coverage Program. So there's two pieces there. There's program election and there's program enrollment. And it's important to understand how those are going to differ. And we want to give you just a, an, a quick overview again of the Price Loss Coverage Program the Ag Risk Coverage Program with county level coverage and with individual coverage to help you make those decisions for 2021. There we go. 
So uh, just to recap a little bit, ARC and PLC are our main commodity crop safety net programs um, that were legislated with the 2018 Farm Bill. And those are in place for 2019 through 2023. You might remember under the 2014 Farm Bill that you made a program election decision and that decision stayed in place for the life of the entire Farm Bill. But the 2018 Farm Bill was different and that you made a program election decision for 2019. That same decision applied to 2020. But beginning in 2021, you have an option each year to change your program election. And so we wanna be sure you're aware of those options and, and your opportunity uh, to take advantage of that. But do note please that the deadline for both a new program election and enrolling in the program is March 15, 2021. So really the time is upon us right now to, to contact your county office and make those appointments uh, to do your ARC PLC election and enrollment. I will take a minute just to mention that uh, many of our offices are not open for in-office traffic, but they are open. So you can contact your office and work with them. Um, they will accommodate the best way for you to go ahead and work with them on your new ARC PLC election or enrollment for the 2021 year. So just as a reminder, our county or the price loss coverage program can be elected on a crop by crop basis. And when we say crop by crop basis, we're we are referring to the base acres that you have on your FSA farm. Those base acres represent what you have historically planted. So we're not referring to what you actually are gonna have planted on your farm in 2021, but what your base acres are on the farm. So if you had a farm that had both wheat base and corn base, you have the ability to elect, say for example, PLC for the wheat base and ARC County for the corn base. If you do decide to elect into ARC individual, however, that election will apply to all covered commodities that are on that farm. And the program election is made on the same form as the annual contract enrollment. So it's really a, a pretty straightforward and fairly simple process. If you happen to have signed a multi-year contract in 2019, then you don't have to take any additional action unless you want to make an, an election change, a program election change. You would also need to contact the office if something has changed on your farm. So if you have a farm um, that you enrolled the contract for 2019, you said you wanted it to apply for future years, but there's been a change to the producers on the farm or the shares on the farm, or perhaps you have additional land that should be constituted as part of that farm, then you do need to contact the office and update that contract. In all cases, so whether or not you have a multi-year contract, if you do not make a program election change, that is fine. Just know that whatever elections were in place for 2019 and 2020 will continue to roll to 2021. You will have an opportunity again in 2022 to change those elections if you wish. But regardless of whether you make a new election or not, you do need to ensure that your farm is enrolled. And so that's important to understand the difference. And that enrollment again has to be completed by March 15, 2021. 
Um, if you make a new election decision, it has to be a unanimous decision by all 2021 producers on the farm. And that's essentially anyone who has an interest in the cropland on the farm. This slide just shows you what are the 22 covered commodities for purposes of our ARC and PLC. So we'll talk a minute about the price loss coverage program. The price loss coverage program or PLC is basically just a price protection program. So there is no protection for yield loss in a specific year. And payments are gonna be triggered when the effective price for a crop year is less than the effective reference price. So for each one of those covered commodities that were on the previous table, there's a reference price that's established by the 2018 Farm Bill. Essentially, PLC looks at the average marketing price for a year and determines whether or not that average marketing price fell below that crop's reference price. And if it did, then there's a payment rate for the PLC program for that crop. Now, payments are not issued until after October 1st of the following year. So for 2021, that means that we won't issue payments until the fall of 2022. The reason for that is because we have to go through an entire marketing year to determine what the average marketing price for that crop is. This chart shows you uh, the reference prices that are established for each of the 22 covered commodities, and we've highlighted some of the major crops in Nebraska. Those reference prices do not change from year to year. So they were established by the 2018 Farm Bill and they remain at those levels throughout the, the life of the Farm Bill. So for purposes of PLC, just talk a minute about what is that PLC effective price? Well, that represents the price that's received for a crop in a specific year. And again, we would be looking at the crops that actually have base acres on your FSA farm. And we're gonna compare that to the effective reference price to determine if there's a price loss that would then trigger a PLC payment. The effective price is going to be the higher of the market year average price or the national loan rate. So there is a floor to that in that it would, would never fall below the national loan rate. Um, in my experience though, in, in, in the past, that has always been at the market year average price. Talk just a minute about the market year average price and what that represents. That's actually a national weighted average of all prices received during the marketing year following harvest. Um, and so again, that is why our payments can't be determined um, for a year basically after harvest. So this shows you the formula for determining uh, what the payment rate will be under the price loss coverage program. Again, it's the effective reference price minus that effective price, and that's our PLC payment rate. And you can see what our payment rates there were for, for 2019. We just issued the 2019 payments um, in the fall of 2020. So for corn, we had a payment rate of 14 cents a bushel. Soybeans did not earn a payment because the average marketing price was above the $8.40 reference price. Wheat had a payment of 92 cents a bushel and grain sorghum 61 cents a bushel. So once we have that payment rate, how do we calculate a payment? Well, on every FSA farm um, for each crop that has base acres, there's not only base acres, but there's a PLC yield. And that yield is um, exists 
for the purpose of calculating a payment under this program. So we would take the payment rate times that farm's PLC yield times the payment acres, and that gives us the PLC payment. Now you would note under P the PLC program that the payment acres are the base acres times 85%, and that 85% is statutory, that's established by the Farm Bill. It's also important to note that uh, regardless of what crops have base on your farm, there's no requirement that you're actually planting that crop under the PLC program. So here's an example for corn. Uh, we know that the effective reference price for corn is $3.70 a bushel. If it's determined that the effective price for corn in, in 2021, for instance, was $3.57 a bushel, then the PLC payment rate would be 13 cents per bushel. So if you have 425 um, acres of corn base on your farm and a PLC yield of 165, we would simply take those base acres times the 85% to get to the payment acres times the 165 PLC yield times the payment rate. And that gives us the payment uh, under the PLC program for the entire farm. So let's talk about ag risk coverage. And there's two options available to you. There's coverage at a county level or at an individual level. So our county specifically is an income support program that's based on a benchmark, or I like to refer to it as an expected county level crop revenue. And that expected revenue is then guaranteed at a level of 86%. So this program is going to use county level yields, not your individual yields, but county level yields for a crop and national average prices to determine the benchmark and actual revenues for a crop. And again, we're talking about the crops that actually have base acres on your farm. So our county payments for our crop are gonna be triggered when that actual county revenue falls below the 86% guarantee. Revenue losses are going to be determined for a crop independent of other crops on the farm. So if you have wheat base, and corn base, the wheat base may have a revenue loss when we take into account county level yields and the corn base may not. So you would still receive an ARC County payment on wheat. There just would not be an ARC County payment perhaps on corn. One does not impact the other. And that's important to understand because it's a little bit different than the ARC individual program. Again, there is no requirement that the cover crop has to be planted on your farm. And similar to PLC, uh, if a revenue loss does occur, then we make payments using the base acres on the farm at a level of 85%. So that determines the payment acres. Now the PLC yield that we talked about previously does not come into play for purposes of the ARC County program. Another thing to note is that there's no requirement that as an individual, you're reporting the production from your farm. Again, that's another uh, differentiating factor from the ARC IC program or the ARC individual program. But for purposes of ARC County, we are using county level yields. So you do not have to report annually your individual yields. So how do we determine that benchmark or expected revenue? Because that's, that's used to determine what the guaranteed coverage is gonna be on the, under this program. 
Well, we're going to look at a five-year Olympic County average yield. And that's simply that, that word Olympic simply means that out of the five years, we're gonna drop the highest yield and the lowest yield and average the remaining three. And you'll note there what the sources of our yield data are. Again, we use a five-year Olympic average national price. And for all of the program options that we discuss today, we are always using um, a national average price. And the five-year average, you also note that it is based on the five years that are prior to the preceding year of the program year. So for, if we were talking about 2020, we were using the years 2014 through 2018. So for 2021, we'd move that five-year average up a year and be using 2015 through 2019. So once we have that benchmark or expected revenue established, then the county level actual revenue is going to be determined for each crop by taking into account the actual average county yield times the higher of that market year average price or the national loan rate. And then a payment under the ARC County program would be triggered when the actual county revenue for the crop is less than the 86% guarantee. Now it is important to note that there is a cap on the payment rate and that's 10% of whatever that benchmark revenue per acre is. So here's an example of how we calculate a payment under the ARC County program. Um, if we determined that, let's say for 2021, the actual average yield in your county for corn was 135 bushels. And after we went through that year after we harvest in 2021, so we're in the fall of 2022, we determined that that market year average price is $3.80. Then we simply multiply those two to determine that the Art County actual average crop revenue per acre is $513. We're then going to compare that to the guarantee. So the guarantee again is 86% of whatever the, the average benchmark or expected revenue per crop acre was. We compare that to the guarantee, and in this case, we would have a crop revenue loss of $18.39 an acre. Now note the second footnote that the payment rate, again, is the lesser of the calculated payment rate above or the cap, and the cap is 10% of the benchmark. So in this case, the cap was $617.90 an acre. If we multiply that by 10%, that cap is higher than our actual crop revenue loss. So the payment rate in this case would be the $18.39 an acre. So in, in this example, once we then determine what the payment rate per acre is, we're gonna take look at the number of base acres on the farm. We're gonna multiply that by 85% to come to the number of payment acres under this program. Um, in this example, the producer on the farm has 100% share. And then we're going to multiply that by the, the uh, actual payment rate for the crop loss or for the revenue loss. So that's, again, the $18.39 an acre. So the payment for this producer in this example is $1,563. A couple of things we want to be sure you take note of with regard to the ARC County program. 
Um, there are counties, and in fact, in Nebraska, several counties, particularly in regard to corn and soybeans, um, where we use criteria and actually consider separate irrigated and non-irrigated county yields to determine revenues and payment rates. And we look at that on a crop by crop basis. So what I mean by that is um, a certain county may be considered for separate um, yields, irrigated, non-irrigated yields by practice for corn, but they may not qualify to do so on soybeans. And if they don't meet the criteria for qualifying on the separate yields for irrigated, non-irrigated, then we'd simply use one yield that blends um, all practices. We call that an all yield. We do tend to refer to these as hip crops, and that's because in a county where we use separate yields by practice, every farm will have established an, a, a historical irrigated percentage, and that's used to weight these yields and revenues in the calculation of, of a guarantee and actual revenue. Just a little bit more about that historical irrigated percentage, that's gonna be determined for the applicable crops on each farm in the county. And it's based upon FSA's irrigated and non-irrigated acreage report data for that farm as it existed from 2013 through 2017. So that HIP is going to be used to determine the number of base acres that's used in weighting the irrigated revenue and the non-irrigated revenue to come to one overall blended revenue expected for the farm. It is important to note that the manner in which the irrigated and non-irrigated benchmark revenues and the guarantees and the actual revenues are weighted and summarized is different from the 2014 Farm Bill because there's one overall payment rate determined for each farm. Under the 2014 Farm Bill, a separate payment rate was determined and a separate payment rate was determined. Another change with the 2018 Farm Bill from 2014 is that the Art County program uses payment rates according to the physical location of the tracks on the farm. So the farm's benchmarks, guarantees, and actual revenues are all based on the physical location of the tract within a farm and then it's weighted by that tract's base acres for the covered commodity. And once that weighting's done then we have weighted revenues that are summarized to the farm level that will determine the overall revenue for each covered commodity on the administrative farm that's enrolled in our county. So if you have a farm that's administratively located in Lancaster County and you also have and you also have a track that's located in Gage County. Um, the calculation of your payment rate will be using a payment rate both from Gage County and from Lancaster County. So just shifting now to talk a little bit about ARC Individual and how does that differ from ARC County? Well, ARC individual is really more of a whole farm revenue coverage and the revenues are weighted for all covered crops that are planted to determine a farm's overall gain in revenue or loss in revenue. It's, it is important to note that a farm must have at least a hundredth of an acre of a covered commodity actually planted. So this is different than the requirements under PLC in our county in that you do have to have um, 
the, a covered commodity actually planted on the farm to participate in ARC IC. The one exception to that is farms that have all covered commodities 100% approved for preventive planting. Now, another thing to note that is different from ARC County and PLC is that if a revenue loss occurs, payments will be issued on 65% of the farm's base acres. And you will be required to report your production each year because ARC individual uses your individual farm yields and not the county yields. It is also important to note that producers who are on an ARC IC enrolled farm that don't share in the farms planted covered commodities will be ineligible for ARC IC payments. In addition, uh, producers on an ARC IC enrolled farm who don't who share but don't actually enroll on the contract will be ineligible for ARC IC payments. Only initial planted cover commodities are included in the revenue calculations. As we said, prevent plant acres only come into play if the farm is entirely prevented from planting any covered commodity. And that's a, a approved as prevent plant with FSA. Um, again, you must certify your production and those, those certifications are subject to a spot check. And you do have until July 15th in the following year to report that production. I do wanna make a special comment about ARC IC and Prevent Plant. We had a number of farms um, enroll in ARC IC because they knew that they were 100% Prevent Plant at the time that they were making that election for 2019. Um, with the timing that you're making the 2021 election, um, obviously if it has to be done by March 15th, we won't, we won't have that same information available to us. So for those of you that were in ARC IC because you were 100% prevent plant in 2019, just know that that ARC IC enrollment will roll over automatically if you don't make any kind of a, a change to your program election for 2021. Uh, we do not separate irrigated and non-irrigated yields and losses for ARC IC. That's all handled as a blended yield. And you have to include production from all ARC IC eligible types of the crop. And also if your covered commodities are hay or graze, that all needs to be included as part of the production. As we noted, those payments are going to trigger when the current year revenue from all planted covered commodities on the producer's ARC IC farm falls below a guaranteed revenue. So the important point there is that we are looking at an overall expected and actual revenue from all of the covered commodities on the farm. So it is important to note that revenue from one farm or one crop could potentially eliminate the revenue loss from another farm or crop. Every producer is going to have a unique benchmark revenue calculated across all of those planted covered commodities. Um, again, we will guarantee um, the ARC IC revenue at an 86% level of that benchmark revenue. And an actual revenue is also calculated across all of the covered commodities and compared to that guarantee to determine if there's a loss. This slide just shows you an example of how that benchmark or expected revenue is weighted and computed across more than one crop for your farm. 
And this gives you an example, um, similarly, of how that is computed um, across both wheat and barley in this example uh, for the actual revenue and overall loss calculation. So taking into account the two crops together, was there a revenue loss um, when compared to the guarantee that was determined for that ARC IC farm? Similar to ARC County, there is a 10% cap that applies and that's 10% of that benchmark. So in this example, um, we have a farm that has barley, corn, and oats base. The base acres really don't come into actual payment rate. And once that payment rate's been determined, then the calculation looks at the total base acres on the farm, multiplies it by 65% to come up with payment acres. So again, that's a difference from the ARC County and PLC program, times the producer's share, times the overall payment rate. So we have an example here of how that calculation is completed. This chart just is kind of a quick reference guide to talk about the differences between PLC and ARC County and ARC IC. This just gives you um, a view of participation in each of the three programs. And this is at the national level um, for four main crops that we raise here in Nebraska. Our picture in Nebraska did look a little bit different in that um, corn and soybeans and grain sorghum, particularly corn and soybeans, were at a higher level for PLC um, up around the 90% level um, for participation in PLC. And again, this is based on what happened for 2019 and 2020. Um, this is just an example or, or um, giving you information regarding the total overall payments that we did issue in Nebraska under the two programs, PLC and ARC County. So just as a reminder, the deadline for both election and enrollment for our PLC for 2021 is March 15th. So we really need you to contact your local county FSA office. Uh, make an appointment with them to get this process completed. If you do not make a new election, your 2019 elections that was were also applicable in 2020 will simply roll over to 2021. So that's an optional process. But regardless of whether a new election is made, a new contract enrollment is required unless you have a multi-year contract in place. So if you're you're a little unsure of whether or not you have a multi-year contract, you wanna be sure to contact your local county FSA office and, and visit with them about that. Brad, that's what I have today for the Arkham PLC program. Kathy, thank you very much for the detail. It's a, it was a good refresher course for someone who even taught this two years ago, let alone uh, uh, for producers uh, making decisions and trying to remember exactly the mechanics. Uh, there will answer more questions at the end of the presentations today, but there is one more specific right now. As you talked about ARC-IC and the reality that in 2019, a lot of producers may have chosen ARC-IC because they knew of prevented planting losses at that time. Looking forward, a decision to have to enroll by March 15th is, is previous or prior to the potential prevented planting situation. So it's much less, much more difficult to predict it happening. But if there is prevented planting on a farm, 
uh, first off, I'm reminded it has to be 100% of the farm is prudent plant uh, in order to, to claim those acres under ARC-IC. If any of the farm gets planted, it's just covering the planted acre crop, not the not the prevent plant. Is That's that correct. And, and when we say 100%, we're talking about any of those 22 covered commodities. Of those commodities. Right? Yes, yes. So, so the question specifically, is there a minimum or a maximum number of, of crop acres? Uh, effectively, it, it just has to be the, the entire farm's acreage of those commodities, right? Right. So there cannot be any acres of any of those 22 covered commodities planted on a farm that's enrolled in ARC-IC. If, you, if you're declaring the prevent plant. Component. Correct. Because at the point that, that any of the 22 covered commodities are planted in, in any amount, then any prevent plant acres and any loss from those acres would be completely disregarded right. in the ARC-IC calculation. And at that point, ARC-IC only applies to the acres that did get planted. Correct. That's right. Okay. Okay. Well, let's, let's park those questions in for the moment. Uh, I want to share a presentation with you now as well. There we go. I believe you're watching my uh, presentation side now. Uh, I want to offer this discussion a bit to bring some of the economics and some of the, the, the potential uh, for farm program payments under these program choices. Uh, Kathy, I might ask you to mute your microphone for the time being. Make sure we don't get feedback there. Thank you. Um, I, I want to also offer a brief outlook at the end on some general policy outlook, uh, ag policy changes in, in DC. But first, let me start by focusing on the decision that producers fundamentally face right now. As Kathy well described, this is a new opportunity to change that ARC versus PLC decision. Uh, it is now an annual decision going forward. You don't have to change, but you have the opportunity to change each and every year. So we're no longer trying to predict multiple years uh, into this decision, but we are fundamentally looking ahead one year at a time. Uh, it's also a reality that this decision is forward-looking. In 2019, we already knew 2019 production results uh, by the time that we had the decision deadline in 2020, and that certainly affected enrollment as related to ARC-IC in many places. Now we know we're only forward-looking, effectively by March 15th. It's difficult to predict any sort of production losses, uh, so we're primarily looking at prices that we have some estimate of, or at least a projection of at this point. And I say it's difficult to predict production losses essentially for every crop except wheat, given that wheat is already in the ground. But then I might lament that it's often difficult to predict wheat yields anyway, right up until uh, harvest. So. Uh, it's difficult to know how much the yield component of the ARC program uh, would, uh, would trigger in a given year by the time we make this decision. So we're always looking forward and, and having to deal with some, uh, some expectation and some probability and uncertainty. Uh, we look at, also realize that whatever we decision we make here uh, on farm programs does at least interact with crop insurance and marketing decisions. Uh, we know the crop insurance choice is available and they're broad and, and uh, comprehensive. We know too that there are some additional programs. SCO is called the Supplemental Coverage Option. That's a county-based crop insurance policy that covers, uh, based on county losses, from 86% down to whatever level of insurance coverage the individual producer actually bought. 
but that's only available if you did not enroll in the ARC program. Because in essence, the SCO program is a county-based program. ARC is effectively a county-based uh, revenue support, re uh, revenue protection program as well. So, uh, so there's a reason why those two are not allowed to effectively overlap. But just this year, RMA has also announced a new program, uh, ECO, or the Extended Coverage Option, and that is now a county-based coverage plan, similar to SCO, but now a county-based coverage plan that covers from either 90 or 95% down to 86%. So we're filling part of the, that additional deductible. County-level policies that do exist area plans do cover up to 90 or 95%. So effectively, this is a county level supplemental uh, that might add on top of uh, whatever individual decisions uh, a producer might make. So just to know that there's a complex uh, crop insurance decision here, uh, multiple tools available. It's also worth noting that whatever decisions we make on farm programs and crop insurance also fundamentally affect our marketing exposure and thus should impact our marketing decisions and our risk management plans. Uh, Crop insurance uh, provides both downside price and revenue protection and yield protection that might either complement or substitute for good marketing decisions. Farm programs provide similar downside protection. Uh, and frankly, as we've seen in the last year, ad hoc assistance can also impact uh, our risk exposure and the role of, of good marketing decisions. So let's look a little bit specifically at farm program decisions as they might be impacted by price outlook. Uh, a complicated graph here, but let me describe it as, this is a running history of price estimates from the USDA's World Ag Outlook Board, or the WASDE, the World Ag Supply and Demand Estimates Report. Uh, and if you go back to May 19, that would have been the first WASDE report for 19 commodities. And the, the, the dots there would note corn down there in the yellow, uh, wheat in the dark brown, uh, soybeans up there in the green uh, tones. All of those price estimates in May of 19 started out at levels below the PLC reference rate for those commodities. That's that solid line uh, across each bar there. We saw fluctuations during the year. We ultimately settled out with uh, corn a little bit below the PLC, uh, wheat far below the PLC reference rate, soybeans just above it. In 2000 and uh, the 2020 crop, we again, in May of this year, started out far below that PLC reference rate. Fluctuations since then and a rally, particularly since August, mean that current price estimates for the 2020 crop of corn and certainly for soybeans are above where the PLC program would kick in. Corn now has an expected price for the marketing year of four bucks above the 370. Soybeans now an expected marketing price for the year of 10.55, far above the 840 uh, reference rate for soybeans. Wheat, unfortunately, in spite of a little rally, is still far below the PLC reference rate, implying large uh, payment rates on the wheat crop. And then finally, there's a dot at the end there for, uh, for the 2021 crop, based on some very early projections from USDA's Office of the Chief Economist. These are the numbers that go into the baseline report published every February. Uh, fundamentally, they start out, uh, again, corn a little bit below the reference, wheat far below the reference, soybeans far above. That's not to say that's a great prediction of prices at this point, 
clearly that crop year hasn't even started. The marketing year is long from starting, but it does remind us that uh, price expectations will move around quite a bit. And so making a decision today is certainly gonna have some uncertainty attached to it. There we go. If I look specifically at the 2019 crop, just as a history, uh, remember as Kathy described and talked about the PLC program, uh, there is an effect, there is a reference price. Technically there is what's called an effective reference price, which is the higher of either the legislated reference price or 85% of the five-year Olympic average. Well, for practical purposes, for these four major commodities in Nebraska, the legislated reference price is gonna be the one that counts. Even soybeans, where we are in the $10 plus range right now, can't get prices high enough, fast enough, and long enough to effectively change the five-year Olympic average to the point that the reference price would go up. So these are the reference prices that we know certainly for the, uh, for the current time and, uh, and expect to continue for the life of this farm bill. But we saw with those reference prices, we had substantial PLC payment rates uh, based on uh, the, the calculation, the comparison to the market price, uh, based on an average payment yield in the state. Uh, and then you see what I calculate as a payment rate per paid acre, and then multiply that by 85%, uh, which is the paid acre, paid acre factor. And that's effectively a payment rate per base acre. Substantial payments in 19. But in 2020, nothing, except for wheat. Again, remember, this is still a projection, but if corn projections at $4 and grain sorghum at $4.40 and soybeans at $10.55, we're far above where the PLC program would trigger. And it would take a substantial downturn from this point to imagine falling back to a level where PLC would kick in on the 2020 crop. For wheat, again, substantial payment rate, substantial PLC payments uh, on a per acre basis. But then for 2021, where you're actually making a decision for this coming year, the current projected price, this very early baseline for corn at 365, would imply a small PLC payment. It's effectively like saying the PLC program is just in the money. If you think about it in the terms of the futures and, and options, it's, a, it's an in the money put right now. Grain sorghum similarly is in the money a little bit. Soybeans are far out of the money. A $10 reference price or a $10 projected price is far above the 840 reference. That's an awful lot of price risk before a PLC program would kick in. And wheat, I still get to talk about wheat with a substantial projected PLC payment uh, for the coming year. So I can sum those up uh, just a table here to try and bundle them all together. Uh, given the effective reference price, given the projected price per year, we can calculate a PLC payment per year or a payment rate. And then ultimately at the end over there, a projected PLC payment per year. Uh, we don't expect very much from the PLC program uh, to be paid on the 2020 crop in 2021, except for wheat. We do expect at this point in time, at least a little bit more payments on the 21 crop to be paid in the fall of 2022, but that is a very uncertain sort of uh, projection at this point. Now I wanna compare that to ARC so that we can understand sort of the dynamics of, of the two programs. 
while we saw substantial payments on the 19 crop to be paid in 20 uh, for things except for soybeans, in ARC, uh, we saw relatively small payments under the ARC program. Uh, yes, we had a marking year average price that was below the 370 benchmark, uh, but at 4% below the benchmark, revenue has to fall 14% below the benchmark. That's the 86% guarantee. So yields actually had to be 11% below the benchmark as well before we would see any counties actually trigger. That happened in about 6% of the counties or 6% of the total practices across the state. The average payment rate when you average that out over both the paying and the non-paying counties is less than two bucks an acre. So in some counties, a very small percentage, it was a substantial program. But generally speaking, ARC was not going to provide any assistance on the 19 crop unless there were major uh, crop losses. For grain sorghum, uh, there were substantial payments. For wheat, there were substantial payments in, in a number of counties. Even for soybeans, there were substantial payments because it took a, a, a mild 3% uh, yield loss before we saw any triggered payments. And so we see, for example, that, uh, uh, that there were some average ARC payments, even for soybeans, whereas PLC didn't trigger. That's the 19 crop that was paid just uh, a couple months ago in October. The 2020 crop, with prices rallying to the points they're at now, we can see where the price is relative to the benchmark. It would take substantial yield losses on the 2020 crop before we would project any ARC payments in the state. Wheat average yields would actually trigger a payment given the price loss that we see relative to the benchmark. Or for corn, grain, sorghum, and soybeans, it would take major losses at the county level. And even with drought conditions across the state, the number of counties that actually trigger at that level of a yield loss is likely to be very small. So it remains to be seen. We await yield data on uh, the 2020 crop. We likely won't see that official yield data until late in 2021, about the time that ARC payments uh, are calculated and announced. But fundamentally, uh, projections would be very small uh, for the ARC program to pay on the 2020 crop. So then you're left with a comparison for 2021 and the decision ahead. The price projections are not as strong for 2021 as they were for 2020 right now. Uh, so it would take smaller yield losses, but it would still take substantial yield losses to trigger potential ARC payments. Whereas the PLC program might be effectively at or in the money for some of the major crops, the ARC program effectively is out of the money and it would take substantial uh, yield or price losses relative to what's currently expected. Now, that's a general oversight that gives you a perspective on how ARC and PLC compare to each other. Uh, that's not enough detail to tell you exactly what the probabilities are or what your potential payments could be. The same decision tools that were available in 2019 and 2020 are available again uh, this time with updates for uh, the current year. Uh, if you visit the FSA website, uh, you click on programs and services, uh, this little uh, link here, and you would find ARC and PLC program. That would take you to the ARC and PLC program page. And if you scroll down and click on resources, that would take you to the links to the two uh, online tools available at Texas A&M University and at the University of Illinois.
the next slide here just shows you the, the direct link to those two tools. Uh, it takes you to their, uh, to their homepage, to their, to their sign-in page. If you use them before, you still have an ID, uh, you can log in and use them again. Uh, you can establish a new ID if you wish. You'll have to re-enter some of that basic farm data uh, to make the program work. But fundamentally, they can help you and guide you through a specific analysis and give you a little more of a uh, probability-based forecast of what those payments look like. Given our current expectations, it's still likely to show that PLC triggers faster and likely larger than ARC, but it doesn't preclude the possibility that there are certainly cases where ARC will make a payment that PLC doesn't because ARC includes that revenue protection and the embedded yield protection in it. So that's a bit of a discussion on the farm program decision the producers have. And I know we have some questions, we'll, we'll dig to them here at the end of the, the discussion. I wanna also briefly share some discussion on where this effectively puts us in terms of outlook. If you look at Nebraska net farm income, this graph goes through 2020 projections uh, based on calculations, USDA estimates through 2019 and, and calculations I've made for 2020 we're actually likely to see what is almost a record farm income year in 2020. Near 6 billion or above, but that's built on more than $2 billion of farm program payments in 2020. Uh, that's unfortunately likely to be a blip. By 2021, we don't see nearly as many farm program payments, that farm income could fall back rather dramatically. Just to clarify that a bit further on farm program payments, we see a history of farm program payments here effectively by, by type. In 2020, the crop program payments, ARC, PLC, marketing loans, et cetera, may account for 200 to $250 million in Nebraska based on current uh, projections, mostly PLC program projections. The green bar is a fairly steady 150 million plus in conservation program payments in the state. And then you see uh, the brown or, or dark, uh, uh, dark bars there that represent the supplemental and disaster program payments. The authorized disaster program payments like the livestock forage program and the livestock indemnity program, those are substantial. Uh, FP is substantial this year with the drought we've seen across the state, but most of this is ad hoc assistance. Some remaining 2019 crop uh, market facilitation program payments for trade losses, and then the multiple rounds of CARES uh, of COVID assistance that we've seen in 2020. The Paycheck Protection Program, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, first round, and then ultimately uh, CFAP2. That has added substantially to cash flow here in 2020. Now, if we read the news this week, there may in fact be more uh, ag assistance coming uh, through another round of COVID assistance as part of the, uh, the current uh, discussion and compromise. If that happens, that likely uh, will cert almost certainly moves off to 2021. And so we could see a little bit of a buffer in 2021, but we're certainly likely to see a substantial pullback on, uh, on total farm program payments because of the, the drop in, in uh, ad hoc payments and ad hoc assistance. Now it's also worth noting the changes that we see in DC ahead. 
for the Ag Committee leadership, it's almost a complete uh, overhaul of committee leadership. Senator Debbie Stabenow from Michigan remains as the only current chair or ranking member uh, to retain that seat in the coming Congress. Uh, Senator John Bozeman from Arkansas uh, replaces Senator Pat Roberts from Kansas. On the House side, completely new leadership. Uh, David Scott from Georgia uh, replaces longtime chair Colin Peterson. Glenn Thompson from Pennsylvania replaces uh, ranking member uh, Mike Conway uh, from, uh, from Texas. So if you think about dynamics here, we're effectively trading leadership from Minnesota, Nebraska, and Texas for Arkansas, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. It's not to say that, that these new leaders don't have a tremendous experience on the Ag Committee and a, certainly a broad understanding of programs uh, and farm bill uh, legislation, but they also do represent different regions and they do certainly bring different personalities and priorities to, uh, to the position. So it will be a unique era for writing the next round of farm legislation and an interesting challenge, interesting time for uh, Midwestern and Great Plains agricultural perspectives uh, to operate and work in the next Congress. We can also say the, the same about USDA. Uh, Senator, former, excuse me, former Secretary Tom Vilsack has been announced as the nominee to return uh, to his role and serve again in the, uh, in the position of leading USDA. When uh, Vilsack was introduced by uh, President-elect uh, Joe Biden, the issues and topics discussed during the press conference really do point to uh, new and expanded priorities for the department. Racial equity is an issue. Uh, it was an issue when uh, Vilsack served previously, and it certainly is a renewed issue at present and a, and a heightened uh, issue of, of note at present. But frankly, USDA's role in managing multiple crises at one time, whether it is hunger and food security or the opioid epidemic that really was originally focused when Vilsack previously served, or obviously the current COVID pandemic as well. USDA is in the business of managing quite a few crises as well. And then whether it was Secretary, or excuse me, yeah, Secretary Vilsack's words or President Biden's words, there is definitely an impetus for new policy action on climate change. And the question here specifically is what does that mean for agriculture? Does it mean new regulation? Does it mean new potential opportunities in terms of earning uh, carbon credits through sequestration and conservation practices? The answer is it could mean both of those things and we'll certainly uh, be watching closely. That leaves lots of questions on the table in terms of the policy directions ahead. Uh, for the farm programs, it really is this trade-off, or it has been the last three years, between the support provided through the established programs and the support provided through ad hoc assistance. And not to use a, a, a pun uh, inappropriately, but ad hoc assistance has certainly trumped uh, legislated programs here in the last three years. That may uh, be one of the big challenges of 2021 as we see ad hoc assistance uh, uh, pull back uh, and, uh, and the total farm program payments and cash flow pullback accordingly. We also have issues of farm programs and WTO. Given the reality that current spending likely exceeds our allowed limits in the WTO, one could debate whether WTO commitments are really critical at this point in time, particularly in the midst of a pandemic, uh, but it is a longer run uh, challenge that the US might face. 
And I know it's only 2020 going on 2021, but the 2023 Farm Bill debate in a new Congress is likely to begin in earnest with oversight uh, committee hearings with initial discussions on policy priorities ahead. And there will be some challenges certainly to uh, the role of farm programs uh, given both the ad hoc assistance and the changing priorities. There are also questions ahead for the new Congress, for the new leadership on trade and our ongoing issues with China. Uh, a new administration does not mean we immediately pull back and eliminate the conflict with China, as has been described in many of the, of the trade outlooks I've seen. Uh, it's easy to put tariffs on, it's difficult to pull them back. And there's not specifically a strategy or promise that says uh, to eliminate those tariffs and eliminate the conflict uh, right away. So whether it is trying to smooth down or, or trying to, uh, um, uh, to get past the conflict with China, trying to negotiate new efforts there as well as with the UK or the European Union or other places, as well as dealing with current conflicts in WTO, the trade arena is quite uncertain at this point in time. The environmental arena is also quite uncertain. It's almost a known expectation at this time that uh, certainty that we will address climate policy in the coming year, whether that is through the administration or through Congress or through both. If there is congressional discussion of it, it would be the first serious legislative activity in a decade since climate policy was discussed back in 2009 and 2010. Uh, if climate policy is discussed, if legislative proposals or regulatory proposals are put forward, the question again for agriculture is what's ag's role? Is it as a body to be a sector to be regulated or is it a sector that might potentially uh, see benefits from earning and selling credits? And the, good, the likely answer is it could well be both. The environmental outlook is also a question related to renewable energy and the future of the RFS uh, and regulatory policy in general. Uh, the Trump administration was focused on rolling back many regulatory policies. There's certainly some expectation in a Biden administration about rolling back the rollbacks and uh, trying to re-implement uh, some science and, and some uh, uh, progressive action on uh, environmental regulatory policy. That's just some insight on the policy questions ahead. There's certainly quite a bit of discussion in the area of taxes uh, and immigration, amongst other things. Uh, but I'll leave those uh, maybe to the imagination for the moment, uh, just to, to recognize our time here. But note that there is a full uh, laundry list of policy issues uh, that we're watching as a new administration and a new Congress take place, uh, take their position. And there are a number of areas where agriculture uh, could be impacted. So it leaves us with some final thoughts here. Uh, producers management decisions for 2021, certainly there is the current enrollment decision, ARC versus PLC. Kathy had described the details earlier. I've given some perspective of the outlook. The one topic I didn't discuss very much is, is ARC IC, but as Kathy noted, uh, producers that enrolled in ARC IC in 2019 may have done so because they knew what 2019 results had actually uh, had actually produced. In 2021, it is only forward-looking. It's difficult to predict the kinds of losses that would make ARC-IC uh, a, a lucrative program. Uh, 
it may in fact happen. We may know some specific situations where, where losses are still likely, but it is likely to be less of a significant program going forward than it was for the past two years. The question for 2021, regardless of which program decision is made, is that this is a financial challenge ahead of us. Market income could actually be substantially higher, but farm program payments are likely to be dramatically lower. And that might in fact impact mean that uh, uh, the overall farm income and cash flow actually suffers a bit in 2021 compared to where we currently stand. That reminds us that producers really need to make good marketing and management decisions. One of the challenges with the assistance in the last uh, year, the COVID assistance, is that CFAP1 provided assistance based on market losses early in this year. The way it was structured, CFAP1 assistance for grains effectively helped uh, cover or buffer the losses on unpriced commodities as of the first of the year. So it helped sort of buffer the losses for a producer that didn't have a marketing plan in place or a hedge already in place. CFAP2 rolled out in late fall, or excuse me, late summer, early fall. And while it tied uh, the payment to a calculation based on a typical marketing percentage, uh, it also applied that payment rate across all producers. So it didn't fundamentally uh, um, offset the losses that producers who had hedged during the summer lows faced. In essence, CFAP1 helped to bail out producers who didn't make a good marketing decision or didn't have an advanced marketing decision. CFAP2 didn't uh, sort of address the fact that producers who didn't get to around to marketing their crop in the end benefited from a harvest time rally, which is exceedingly rare. So to make a good proactive marketing decision is already tough. To have lived through the shock of the past year and still make a good decision is even more challenging. There's a current uh, Cornhusker Economics article that would be worth reading for those with interest. Find that on our website. But it's a reminder to make good marketing decisions and not to be sort of uh, put off by one year of experience or by ad hoc assistance sometimes filling the gap. A reminder as well, producers need to look at the insurance tools, all of them that are available. We're talking about the, the crop side here today, but the LRP or Livestock Risk Protection Program uh, or actually revenue protection program is, uh, is, is certainly a viable tool uh, as well for livestock producers to consider with some new changes. In the end, it's a reminder the producers really need to practice good risk management, and that includes risk management education. That's something that our Extension Risk Management Education Center helps support across the entire region, but it's a reminder, again, of the role and the need for good risk management decision making. Now, having shared that, I know we have questions coming in. Uh, and I want to get back to uh, Kathy to bring her back on audio as well. So if you want to unmute there. Um, Kathy, I want to start a question I think that, that's appropriate or that heads your way. Someone had planted for the first time. Uh, they're asking about PLC programs. Um, but you might want to clarify the, the difference between base acres or base crops and, and planted crops. Sure. So um, uh, 
most farms um, are already established uh, with FSA and have base acres established, which are uh, really dependent upon what's historically been planted on the farm. So under the PLC program, uh, PLC really applies to whatever base acres exist on an FSA farm number. So the crops that are actually planted out on the farm aren't a component of determining whether or not there's a PLC payment on that farm. The one case where I wonder if that changes if a producer chose ARC-IC. Yes, right. If a producer the protection, chooses the production is tied to their, to their planted crop. Right, absolutely. So if, if there's an ARC-IC decision involved, then you have to plant at least a hundredth of an acre of one of those 22 covered commodities that we showed in that table to be eligible for ARC-IC. Whatever crops planted out, out there is what's used to determine the benchmark revenue and the actual revenue on the farm. And then whatever revenue loss is determined from that calculation is applied to the base acre simply to calculate a payment. So ARC-IC is very different from PLC and ARC County. PLC and ARC County really are not dependent at all upon what's planted out on the farm and ARC-IC is. Okay. Um, there's a question about calculating premiums and that looks like an insurance question. Uh, the, the best answer there is to um, either visit, there are some online insurance uh, calculators if you're, if you're interested. There are also, that's also the best role for a local crop insurance agent and a crop insurance professional that can quote you uh, the, the premiums for, uh, uh, for the commodity program crops. Now there's a specific question. If I was choosing, well, I'm educating and I'm not actually operating an FSA <laughs> farm member, so I don't have that choice ahead of me this year. But the economics would show and if I use any of those, either of those two decision tools online, it would show a higher probability today. It would show a higher probability for a PLC payment uh, than an ARC payment and a higher expected payment because PLC is going to kick in if prices fall below that reference rate. As I said, we effectively have an at the money or even slightly in the money put effectively in place with the PLC program today. With the ARC program, that same reference rate is where the benchmark currently is for everything except soybeans, but you have to have a 14% revenue loss before ARC kicks in. Now that includes yield, so there is some yield protection in ARC that you don't get in PLC, but it still fundamentally takes a bigger loss from where we currently sit today than, than what PLC would. And so the likelihood is that PLC triggers uh, faster and bigger uh, than ARC, but ARC does provide you some of that localized, county-based or even farm-based uh, production protection that PLC would not. So I can't say that PLC wins every comparison, uh, but uh, forward-looking, it's hard to uh, it, it's hard to find the numbers that would say ARC uh, pays bigger. So. That's not quite an answer, but it is some economic insight that might help the, uh, the, the decision. I believe that is the, the, the gist of the, uh, the questions. There is one additional question, however, on conservation, which is a good reminder that maybe, maybe a conservation program webinar would be a good idea here in the coming months, maybe coming weeks. Um, 
Kathy, can you can you mention? I know you have other other uh, colleagues in the state office that run the conservation side, but but FSA is currently in the middle of a, a CRP signer. Uh, um, I might have to ask Bobby to help me out here. I think there's a okay. CRP general signup that's upcoming. Is that right, Bobby? Correct. Um, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, CRP general signup will start January 4th in our uh, county offices across the state. And then we also have um, CRP grassland signup, and that will start, I believe, yeah, March 15th. So those uh, time periods for those, um, the CRP conservation program are, are upcoming. Um, continuous CRP, so practices like buffer strips and riparian buffers, um, those uh, types of practices, you can always come in and see us uh, and get signed up for those uh, types of practices. And of course, and then there are also the working lands and easement programs uh, through the Natural Resource Conservation Service as well. Um, generally with continuous sign-up, but then a periodic um, uh, ranking period and, and selection uh, period as well. Uh, I'm, I've been thinking about the CRP because I'm working on uh, some analysis here for, uh, uh, for another uh, uh, pub to, to come out, uh, one of the monthly columns in Nebraska Farmer, uh, time to when the sign-up is starting. So there are definitely some, some questions about CRP enrollment and uh, there's room for added acres. There's always the question of how do producers sort of balance known rental rates uh, for a 10 or 15 year contract versus uh, expected returns from cropping. Uh, and that's certainly, uh, uh, certainly is something to play out here. But perhaps we'll, uh, we'll return to the conservation topic here again sometime soon. Uh, another question asks, do you re recommend making that ARC PLC decision right away now, or do you recommend waiting sort of as long as we can until March 15th? Um, maybe Kathy, start there. What's the, what's the best strategy to work sure. on? Sure. We, we would really encourage everyone to get those appointments made and, and make those decisions. And for two reasons, um, it, it really is, it helps our offices manage that workload and we wanna ensure first and foremost that you don't miss a deadline. But the other thing to understand here is if, if you go to the office or, or you contact them and work with them to make your program election and get your enrollment in place, you, you can still come in by March 15th or contact the office by March 15th. And if you want to change that program election, you can change it. So if, if there's data that, or information that comes out that puts you in a different position as far as your decision-making, you can always contact the office by March 15th and make that change. We would very much encourage you though to, to move forward now and uh, contact the office for that appointment. Kathy, one question about if, if I make that enrollment decision now, but then I do decide I wanna change um, with, the, with the scheduling challenges in the local office, how do I ensure that I can get that done on time? Before um, you know, as long as you contact our office and, and request an appointment, they will make sure that you're accommodated. So um, we have a process whereby, you know, if we can't deal with the, the workload because it all comes at the end of a sign-up period, um, we've got some processes we can use to handle that. But the, the key thing is you as a producer has to uh, contact the office and request 
to do that action and, and, and make that appointment. Good reminder, it's always good to do timely uh, decision-making and management decisions. And uh, and then we have time to rethink that decision if we want, so. Right, and Brad, those those contracts do require oftentimes signatures of other producers. So waiting yeah. till that last minute then puts you in a position where sometimes it's difficult to get all those contacts made and all those signatures obtained. You bet, you bet. So, well, Kathy, thank you very much. Bobby, thank you too thank as you. well for helping to, to make this happen today. Uh, we appreciate the collaboration with FSA. As I said, a year ago at this time, we had just wrapped up a series of educational meetings across the state on the new farm bill and the new enrollment decision. Uh, this is a great time to come back and revisit that decision, uh, knowing that we do have some changing economic circumstances and maybe some changing uh, decisions for producers as well. Uh, so we want to appreciate your participation and our continued collaboration. Look forward to doing it again. Thank you, Brad. Uh, you bet. Now, as we close here, I want to remind you, I, I thank you for participation today, but I want to remind you that a recording of this webinar uh, will be posted at our website, farm.unl.edu. We will also, in fact, post both presentations up there as well, so you'll have an opportunity to see the slides as well as review the full recording if you wish. This has been a special Nebraska Farmcast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making, visit farm.unl.edu.